Hey everyone, it's Jen, your favorite nerd equa, and welcome back to Rocking Your Bald Podcast. Today, I have Allison Mann. She is a fellow alopecian, a licensed therapist who specializes in body image. She has a really cool story from being a bold, beautiful gymnast to a bold, beautiful therapist who helps people find their right path and embracing who they authentically are. Thank you so much for joining us today in this conversation and enjoy. So tell me, when did you and alopecia become BFFs forever? Oh my gosh. Not until recently. Me and alopecia were not BFFs until probably early 20s, late teens, but mostly the last couple of years, I would say fully. You know, it was a lot of like faking it until you made it for a little bit. And I didn't really fully believe we were BFFs. But yeah, so not really until pretty recently. What is your alopecia story? When did she come in like a wrecking ball? <laughs> yeah, when when did she hop on in there? So my alopecia started around age four. It was alopecia areata. It would fall out, come back, the whole tactiness of areata for about two years. Then by age six, it developed into universalis. And I've been totally bald ever since. Other than the occasional seasonal eyelashes that I get, <laughs> it seems like, I don't know, for some reason, sunlight. I don't know, some, somehow that does something in growing my eyelashes and in the winter they seem to pull out but other than that it's universalis and i don't grow hair anywhere else um so yeah it has been since then and when i was in elementary school and i i felt really lucky because i think a lot of people when they experience alopecia from young age it's scary in terms of bullying and what are little kids gonna say and the comments they're gonna make and i was so fortunate to be in such one, have a supportive family where my mom was like, sending letters to all my teachers, things that I didn't know about until like got to adulthood. And she was like, oh, yeah, I used to send these letters to all the parents of your classmates and all your teachers and the principal and all these things I didn't know about. But she was behind the scenes making sure everyone knew what this was to minimize as much as possible the poor interactions I could have. So I had that as well as this incredible teacher at my school who previously was Miss Jacobson and she will always be Miss Jacobson to me but she got married to another person at our school and so now she's Miss Coddle but she hosted this assembly at our elementary school called Locks of Love and students donated their hair every year so when I lost my hair she asked me would you want to speak at the assembly and little first grader me is like um, that sounds pretty horrifying <laughs> but there was always that piece of me that I was like, it makes me special. It's my moment. And so the fear and her support kind of outweighed that. And so I did. I spoke at that school assembly from first grade through fifth grade. Um, and I would just normalize it and be like, you know, I'm just like you. I can do everything you can do. But then I would do a back handspring because, you know, gymnastics was also a huge part of my life at that point and really intertwined a lot with my hair loss journey. But yeah, I lost it pretty young, but had incredible support at that time that really made it easier. So very thankful for that. So your mom, from the get-go, without you even realizing it, created this culture and atmosphere of normalcy for you. Yeah. The way I found out was so funny. I was going to get a consult for my wisdom teeth, and I was sitting in the office. Some other mom comes in and she's like, oh, are you the mom you used to send those letters? And I looked at my mom, I was like, what is she talking about? What letters are you talking about? And she was like, oh, I never told you. I used to send these letters. And now I have templates of the letters on my website for a free download for other parents if they want to download it and have something quick to send out to their parents or teachers. I think it, it 
it was really helpful in my journey. And so why not make it easy for people? If any parent is out there, guardian, and you want a free template to download on my website. Wait, so you found out during a wisdom tooth consultation? Yes. I was in the waiting room with some other mom came in and was like, hey, you're that mom who sent the letters. And I was like, what? So when you grew, matured, and began having these realizations of decisions and choices that were made for you to protect you, how did that make you feel as an alopecian? Like finding out that there were so many things happening to protect me that I didn't know about. Yeah, your reaction to all of it, taking that in and processing all of that, because my experience growing up with it was not like yours at all. So I'm wondering, how did you process all of that when you had that realization? I think if I knew, if my mama told me that when I was the age that I lost my hair, I'd have been like, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. You're going to make me look silly. It's probably a great thing that she did not tell me. But when I found out at the age, I maybe I, I was... While into college at that point, I think I found out I was thrilled and grateful. I was like, oh, wow, cool. And I had always thought back and, like, you know, there's always, and I'm sure we'll touch on this too. Once I got to middle high school is when it got a little harder for me. And, but I never had the experience of the overt bullying. No one was hitting my head or making really rude comments to my face. It was more of the isolation of like, oh, you're not part of our group. And so, which I'm still fortunate for, right? I know there's way worse situations. And I always look back, wow, how come it wasn't worse for me? I really do think about that sometimes. Wow, how did I get away with not being kind of harmed more? Because I know I've heard so many other stories. And I'm sure it had a lot to do with my mom really being a mama bear and somehow jumping into action, not really knowing anyone else with kids with alopecia and somehow just on her own deciding to jump in, write these letters, send them out to multiple people. And I can only imagine that is the reason that my experience was not, you know, worse. It's hard to think about it that way, but truly you hear about these other stories and you hear about Rio's story. I feel lucky to have, you know, what I had and not that it was like a bulletproof solution, but I certainly think it, it helped a lot. It sounds like it did because I know with my alopecia journey, I was not fully bald until my mid-20s. I still had a lot of the patchy hair and the hair extensions experience growing up and covering everything to be normal. Mm -hmm. So for you, you had this, this normalcy from a very young age, and then you get into gymnastics. What does that do to you now? If you're in gymnastics and you're an alopecia, did you feel something different, especially since gymnastics has, at least from my perspective as an audience viewer, a certain look to it, if you will. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. There is, there is a look to it. Uh, so it's interesting. So I started gymnastics very young, probably before, right before my hair even started falling out. I have videos of me with patchy hair, already doing my floor routine things. At that point, gymnastics quickly, quickly became very... The, Biggest part of my life. In elementary school, I was already doing two practices a day at five in the morning and then right after school. So I think that is another reason. That was another protective factor I had. People knew me. In the elementary school, I'm breaking pull-up records. Kids knew, you bully this girl, she can come after you. Like, so that was certainly another layer of protection I had on top of what my mom and all these teachers were already doing for me. And it also, for better or worse, protected me from having to process any of the emotions that, at that age. 
because my identity was fully wrapped up in being a gymnast. There was no part of my identity at that age that I was, oh, I'm the girl with alopecia. No, no, no. I'm the girl who's a gymnast and I train, you know, probably 20 to 25 hours a week, even in elementary school. And then once I got to middle school, I started being homeschooled and I was training 30 plus hours a week. And so my whole identity was there. It was, I am a gymnast and the only really piece in gymnastics that really made me in tune with, oh, I am the ball of gymnast was that, you know, I couldn't wear the matching scrunchies that come with the Leos. I couldn't wear the ribbons in, you know, in my hair that my other teammates were always wearing at meets and competitions and things. And then occasionally, like, you know, you'll have coaches who will come up and be like, wow, that's, that's amazing what she can do. Insinuating that I should be really sick and not able to compete. But how is a girl winning gold medals and one of the best in the competition and sick at the same time? Really, the wheels weren't really turning in their head. They were not putting two and two together that I was not sick. But usually it was always to my coaches or to my parents that people would make those comments in like a gymnastics setting. Rarely was someone like directly saying it to me. And then after a while, you're in the scene and then those things don't happen anymore because you're just known and people know you. So, yeah, it was it certainly set me apart in a way. It was always there in the back of my head. But like my identity was so fully wrapped up in being a gymnast that it really kind of protected me from having to even think about the alopecia side of things until until I left the sport. And that was that was a time with you noticing the differences between you and your would you say teammates? Is that appropriate? Yeah. Yeah. Because I know you mentioned before some of the isolation you felt. Did you feel that then as well when you started noticing those differences growing up in this community of gymnasts? They have scrunchies, they have hair ties, they can do this, and I can't, and I'm the only one. Was there yeah. isolation in that? Yes and no. I definitely used humor a lot then, and probably still do, of like, Oh, who needs an extra scrunchie? Because I have all these scrunchies from these Leos that I can never wear. Who needs one? So things like that. But like I said, there was no room to really think about much of or process really any of it in the type of environment I was in. We just, there's no room for it. I don't know how the best way to describe it. It was like lingering in the background, but it never really came to the forefront until I actually left the sport, which is kind of interesting. So then when did you leave the sport? Was it right after high school and you transitioned into college? No. So it was actually after my freshman year of high school. I was homeschooled in middle school for gymnastics. And then I went back to public school for high school. Regardless of my decision leaving the sport, I always planned on going back to public school for high school just because that's what my parents wanted and I wanted that experience too. Even when you're in public school, it's so isolating the training hours that you need some type of social something in your life. So I wanted to go back to public school for that. But at that time, there wasn't as many regulations as there are now on recruiting. And so at the gym I was at and the kind of connections we had there and how things function in the recruiting world during that time, you were committing to your college, late middle school, early high school. Um, and so I'd already began the process of visiting schools, talking to coaches, doing all that. And as I was doing that, I had this feeling of, oh my God, I am so miserable. I have the worst anxiety going to practice every day. I hate it. And at that time, you're so young, you can't really process why? Why am I so miserable? Like, as I came out later on, very toxic environment along the way. I had many different coaches. I went to many different gyms. Um, and I had some pretty bad, abusive coaches along the way that really ruined the environment for me, which is why when you get older and you look back, you're like, ah, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> and so 
I was doing all these, you know, visiting schools and I was like, why am I going to commit to something for four more years beyond this when I'm already miserable now? Imagining saying this for eight, seven more years sounded literally impossible. I was like, I won't make it out of this. So that's when I decided after my freshman year of high school, I just blurted it out in the car one day because I didn't know how else to do it. And that's how it worked. My mom would take me up for school. She would bring me dinner to eat in the car, which I could barely ever eat because I was always like, one, I get car sick too. I'm just like, anxious about going in there. I just blurted out when it, I need to quit. I need to, I need to quit. And my mom was like, oh, okay. Oh, uh, that's fine. So she didn't know what to do. But obviously it was a, it was a big thing for my parents too, because they're banking on me getting a full ride. And that's a pretty big shift in finances when your child's going to get a full ride. And then suddenly they're not doing that anymore. They were supportive, regardless of how big of a shift it was for really everyone. That's when I left. And that is when I was like, whoa, the only identity I had suddenly stripped away from me. And now the identity I'm left with is just the weird bald girl. And at school, part of what made me cool was that people, especially when I left to be homeschooled, people were like, oh, she's going to the Olympics. All these rumors about that, which was never true. You're competing against elite gymnasts. You get these D1 scholarships. So you kind of have to train like one to be in get to these high schools and be considered which is why i was doing this i was never training for the olympics but once that was taken away and i didn't have that title anymore and that thing that made me cool i suddenly lost a lot of friends i felt very alone was very confused okay now now i have to deal with this thing that i haven't dealt with my whole life since the age of four and i was like oh this is gonna be an interesting time (laughs) and so that is kind of what started almost my social media journey because I got to a point in sophomore year of high school where I was just like, oh, I can't be the only one feeling like this. I have to have some purpose in my life that's not gymnastics. Clearly that wasn't it. There has to be something else, right? There's no shot that this is it for me. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm gonna make YouTube videos and I'll post them, but I can't have anyone know. I was like so scared of someone finding them and bullying me. I can't imagine having no friends and now being the weirdo making YouTube videos and getting made fun of for it. So I started doing that because of that like feeling of isolation and I was like someone else has to feel like this right so I did that I posted a few videos I was horrified every time I posted it and I told maybe two or three people and I was like if you tell anyone I swear to god you cannot tell anyone I was like so strict about it and I was like don't watch them in front of me if you watch them don't tell me you watch them it was so embarrassing and hard for me to post those and think about any type of judgment that may come eventually the fear kind of overcame me and I stopped posting. I can't do this. this. is too much. So I went through the rest of high school after uh, maybe like sophomore or junior year, I posted some videos. And after that, yep, can't do that. This is too scary now. Can't do it. But I kept my channel. If someone finds it, well, so then, yeah, that was kind of the period where the isolation and feeling left out really hit me. That's an incredible piece of your story. You had this identity of being a gymnast. People were assuming you were going to go to the Olympics and get some type of medal of some sort. But your view was, I just want a full ride to college. That's interesting because you have that perspective. Most people who are in gymnastics have that, not just as an interest, but then they probably want to go to the Olympics. That's a natural assumption. I think it's honestly... Like I said, you're all, you're all competing for the same scholarships, even with these people who are elite gymnasts that for a lot of them, it really D1 scholarship is just the main goal for a lot of people. But then with you, the, the thing you said was when you exited that life, you started realizing alopecia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
What was that like going from I'm the cool bald gymnast and everyone loves me and they think it's really cool to oh, maybe this is not that cool. Horrifying. I instantly, instantly lost what I thought was my friend group. Poof, gone. I remember this one girl came up to me. I don't understand why you would ever quit something that you are good at. And I would literally just out there, oh, you clearly have no idea what I went through from there on out. All right. This is not going to be no, huh? And I like, you know, I had my few friends, but I was never part of a group. And group identity is the utmost importance at that age, even being a therapist now and knowing your group identity is forming before your individual identity. And to not have that and to feel so left out was awful. I had a friend here or there, and this friend was part of that group, and this friend was part of that group. I didn't have any group that was my own. And so I was never invited to parties, never asked to homecoming. None of the things that a normal high schooler usually has was not a thing for me. That's when that Lapisha stuff became the forefront of my mind. Whereas when I was doing gymnastics, it was always in the back. But now it was very much in the front of like, oh my God, there's this thing. And clearly this is, you know, you're looking around. What is different about me that everyone else doesn't have? And why do they have this and I don't? Oh, yes, I'm the bald ward. That is the clear difference here. And it makes sense when you're that age. Everything is so service the whole. That was absolutely, I would say, the hardest time of my life was middle in high school. I honestly wouldn't change it as because it led me eventually to where I am now. Even just those YouTube videos in the beginning, that spark I had in me, I remember getting my first subscribers. No matter what happens, I just have to keep posting for that one person because if I'm helping just one person, like then it's worth it for me. And it probably was literally my mom. But regardless of me being so scared, even after I stopped posting those videos, that piece of me never left. That fire of, oh, I'm so drawn to this, but I'm just so scared of the perception of me. And how, you know, the opinions of others, that overtook that passion during that part of my life. But it was still always in there. And if I didn't have that experience in middle and high school, I don't think it would have eventually led me to the point of where I am now. Passion for me outweighs any opinion of other people. What's that like? We're struggling with your identity. And from what it sounds like, you really didn't know who you were. And then having the realization experience of how people respond to certain changes, which led the path to becoming the person you are now, which is a therapist helping people about their perspectives on mental health, body image. Break that down for me. <laughs> yeah. My identity was totally whoop, stripped away. I'm gymnastics gone. I had to rebuild it from scratch is what it felt like. There has to be something more. And I had this unique experience in gymnastics. Of, there's so many mental health things in gymnastics, but one of the most glaring and obvious being body image. And most people think about body image from what I say, the shoulders and like low, arms, stomach, legs, that kind of thing. And with alopecia, you experience a different kind of body image from the shoulders and above. Your head shape, your facial hair, your all the things that come with shoulders and above. So I had this very unique experience of seeing body image in a very full, nuanced way that a lot of people don't experience. And so there was a lot of, of that when I was thinking about my identity. Like I was struggling with kind of the body image piece initially when I left the sport. But I was struggling with body image in more ways than a person typically would. I was struggling with, one, my body is suddenly growing into itself because... It, gymnastics at my level and that amount of hours of training stunts your puberty you don't grow into yourself until a bit later so I stopped and all of a sudden my body was like whoop time to grow um and so that's happening to my body as well as looking in the mirror and suddenly being like oh my god 
And there's this other piece that I never processed. I don't have any hair and I have not really thought about it at all since I've lost my hair. And that's a long time ago at this point. And so that was a lot to a lot of years that I had to go back and process. So that all happening at the same time was the seed planted of me getting into the body image mental health field. I had already knew I wanted, I've always wanted to be in the helping field. Started with being a, like a, first of all, I wanted to be a doctor. My dad's a veterinarian. I'll be a veterinarian. And then quickly I started passing out with needles. So that was like, no, no. And then I was like, I'll be a teacher. And that stuck for a while. And then I was like, no. And for some reason, therapist, well, at first it was psychology and then I realized that there's other routes to be a therapist than just psychology. So that's, I went down the social work path. And that kind of stuck with me ever, like probably late middle school, early high school. I knew that that is what I wanted to do. And it amplified once I was going through this experience of like body image, mental health. And I was like, ah, that is the area. That is what I want to do it in. And I even knew this for so long that my senior year of high school, I did my independent study on the impact of social media on body image that never left i feel so fortunate that the passion i had and the direction i wanted to go in my life really was so solidified and has been so true for all these years a lot of people get to college and they still don't know what they want to do i went through these crazy experiences that was nope i know exactly what i meant to do and i'm gonna go after it wholeheartedly and so that is of course by the end of high school knew i was going to do social work i knew i was going to be a therapist all because of these kind of seeds that had been planted with my experience of gymnastics and alopecia. And so then I got into college and, you know, school was already a big thing for me. It was very important for me. I was very excited to go to college. And at that point, I still had the feeling of, oh, I know I want to post videos again. I know I want to do more in this community. But I'm in college. It's a fresh slate. I don't want to start out being the weirdo who makes YouTube videos. I was still nervous about the perception of people. You're going to a new place and there's lots of new people. You never know. So I like, posted a couple in the beginning of college before I made many friends. And it still freaked me out. Oh, no, I can't. And I was doing things that didn't feel good to me. I'll do a dorm room tour. Things that weren't my passion. Things that I thought were maybe more mainstream or be more accepted than what I would actually wanted to talk about. That didn't feel good to me. So I barely did any of that. And I was like, ah, I can't do this. Then... Time goes on again, and I get to sophomore year of college. And that is when I went through my first breakup, which, you know, we all do at some point. But I was so destroyed. And at that point, that is when I really realized, oh, my God, the fake it till you make it. Me thinking that I was gaining confidence and finding acceptance. When this happened, I realized, nope, you did not have any of that. Because I was, the reason it was so distressing for me was I will never find anyone again. I had met one person who was okay with me being bald. There's not possibly any more on this earth who will be okay with that. And so my worth was so tied up in that. And that's when I realized, like, oh my God, we got some work to do still in terms of identity. I had the career side of my identity figured out and kind of my purpose, but there was still a piece of my purpose that I wasn't fully going after. And going through that breakup really made me be like, okay, I know what I need to do now to like get myself out of this whole because I would say there was like a pretty depressing period in my life. It was hard for me to go to class. I would ride between classes. I was just in my bed. I was, it was not great. And I, one of the times I was in my bed between classes, I was just laying there thinking, oh no, there has to be something that will give me, fill me with fulfillment and purpose again. That is not in a guy and not in a man. There has to be something outside of that. And that's when I was like, 
I have to start posting again. I have to do it and be confident about it. Before I was only doing on YouTube, I wouldn't post it on my Instagram because so many people from high school were there and other people. And I was like, nope, you're going to post on YouTube and you're going to share it on your Instagram stories and you're going to tell all your friends that you're doing it. And that's what you're going to do. I don't care how scary it is. That's what you're going to do. And so that's what I started to do sophomore year of college. You know, you can go back and watch those YouTube videos. They're not great. One of them is me doing my roommate's hair. Bald girl's a hairstylist, you know, things like that. And so you have to start somewhere. That's where I started. I did one video with my parents and them talking about, you know, me growing up and things that they did. But then short form content started getting big around COVID time. And reels were a thing. And I was like, you know what? I got to just jump all in. I'd still had been weary of posting fully on Instagram. I only would share on my stories. And I was like, no, nah, I got to jump in the deep end. And that's when I started going on Instagram. And that's, you know, what my Instagram looks like now. And if you were to look at it right now, it seems like she's been doing this her whole life. But it really was only from the last year and a half, two years. Um, so yeah, it, it's been a bit of a whirlwind building my identity from, you know, thinking that I kind of had it figured out and then realizing, oh, no, you don't have it figured out. And then now at a play where, all right, I think I may have cracked the code now. <laughs> yeah, it seems when you were in your early years of college, you were going through your season of denial, but yet you didn't think that way because, like you said, you found career-wise your purpose. You thought you were good. So you said you also were in a relationship with someone. I don't even know, looking back, if I can call it really a relationship. But yeah, to my young self, I guess it was a relationship. The guy-girl situation. And you held hands. What is that like for you as an allocation, if you don't mind talking about that, the dating scene right. a little bit? How has that been for you and dealing with, not dealing, experiencing the different reactions from guys with a bald yeah. woman? Yeah. Looking back on it, I just don't consider it not, well, I mean, it was, but, you know, the way I was treated was very much not how someone's treated in a relationship. I mean, I was acting as if I was in a relationship and it just was not treated that way back. But I was like, it doesn't matter. No one else is going to be in a relationship with me. So I have to make this work. That in the beginning of your college, at least the beginning of college in that relationship, it felt very much like that. It was not, it was horrifying to date. I did not believe that someone could actually be in a relationship with me and be with a bald girl and be happy about it. It's a weird thing. And now I'm at a point where I don't care. I, at this point, my worth and my beauty is solely defined by me. No one else can define that for me. I know that I am worthy and I know that I'm beautiful. And so it's only a matter of fact of finding someone else who also believes it. But I don't care if I don't find that. I'm at a point now where going through that kind of relationship, situationship, whatever the heck it was, realizing my worth was so tied up in other people's opinions and going on the journey of being like, oh no, it, it's not. It's only tied up in my opinion and that's it. Um, has made dating, I wouldn't say easier. Dating is hard no matter what, right? But it, easier in terms of, I'm at a point where I know that I'd be totally fine alone. It's more of a want than it is a need. It would be great to find my person one day, and I'm very optimistic that I will. But I know that, you know, I think in one of my early YouTube videos, I called it, I called it the F-boy shield. I called alopecia the F-boy shield in one of my early videos. And so that's what I, I would still call it that. And so for that reason, I certainly filters people out, which is a good thing. 
but it also maybe makes things take a bit longer. And so, you know, that's kind of where I'm at in terms of dating. My worth is no longer tied to anyone else's opinion. That makes it already a little easier. It's harder, for sure. There's a layer there of like, you know, you see yourself getting less matches and people come up to you less than some of your friends. There's certainly hard parts. At the end of the day, I still know what my worth is and that I'm beautiful and that someone will appreciate that one day. And I'm on my own timeline. I'm not chasing against anyone else. And that's okay. I agree with a lot of that. I feel with my journey and yes, dating is hard enough as it is, especially in the time that we live in now coming out of a pandemic. But I feel that as I continue to grow, mature and heal, I feel sometimes I would want to wait just a little bit longer for the right one who has that maturity, compassion and understanding. You're talking a lot, too, about body image and you talked about how you discovered it. How has your view changed with body image? You've had such a unique experience with it, being a gymnast and only caring about from the neck down because of the look of a gymnast that having the moment of, oh, yeah, I'm bald. It's not just about the neck down. It's about the neck up. It's given me a very full picture of what body image means, which I think makes me a good therapist. (laughs) It has helped me in my career in terms of being able to know the nuance of what body image includes and not everyone has the experience of of having. Um, And, you know, Body image, mental health, you don't have to look a certain way to struggle with body image. I think we're told that we think that body image problems only come in a certain shape and size and that that's not true. Anyone and most people, whether it's severe or not severe, have had some type of body image related struggle. My experience has just given me the benefit of seeing a fuller picture of that and being able to take that into my career and have a deep understanding of, of what a lot of like, you know, my clients are going through or the experiences that they describe. I'm very thankful for, honestly. I'm glad I was able to come out on the other side and be able to use it as part of my purpose. How would you describe body image from your own personal and professional perspective? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, body image is how you view yourself in the mirror, not in the mirror, how you think about yourself and how you see yourself. It includes everything, not just even, you know, like I said, it's not just the shoulders and below. The way that eyelashes and eyebrows frame your face, the little things like that that you would never really think about if you maybe didn't go through it. But those are absolutely all included in body image as well. So it's really just how you view yourself like internally and, and externally. What was your experience like when you would look at someone with hair? Did you notice more the uniqueness of hair and eyelashes and eyebrows? Did you have that experience of, wow, I never noticed that before about any of it. Because I started noticing when I would look at hair sometimes, and I still have this moment where I just see someone's hair. I notice how healthy and beautiful it is. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe it has to do with when you lose your hair too, the way you view it. I think because I lost it so young and I'm used to seeing myself this way for so long, I don't, it's not even the hair on people's head that I catch the most. It's mainly eyebrows and eyelashes. And things like that that I noticed, especially because, you know, when I put eyelashes on myself, I love how it accentuates my eyes. And so when I see someone with natural eyelashes, wow, truly what a difference it makes. Or even weird things. Did you know we had hair in our ears? When I go out in the cold, I thought it was normal that my ears were in pain. But I recently found out it's because we don't have hair in our ears. That's why it hurts. And I was like, what the heck? And so all these even like tearing your nose helps you protect from getting sick. All those types of things are the ones that I think stand out to me more. Wow. 
lucky you, you have that. And then it almost like someone's hair on their head, which is maybe weird. I think it has to do with that I'm, I'm so used to being bald. I remember when I was working in an elementary school, I was a teacher for a short time. And when one of my colleagues learned that I had alopecia and not cancer, she would do this thing. She would speak so low to see if I would react and turn my head because with alopecia, especially with universalis, you don't have hair in your ears. It's so interesting. There's certain hairs like that that help you balance. We can balance without that. How adaptive we are. Crazy. I never knew. And I've always had really good hearing. My brother would always kind of be like, she can hear everything. And I guess it has to do with the lack of hair in my ears, which I really never knew about until very recently. So I wanted to ask you this. I know you've commented with your eyelashes, they grow back and fall out. Did you have any issues adjusting to the sunlight? Because I did not realize how bright the sun was until I did not have that little bit of shade. And it took me a month and a half to get used to that brightness. Good question. Not that I've noticed. Maybe unconsciously my body has. I don't know. I think maybe because it happens so often that I've always maybe been able to adjust. I don't know. I've noticed I have one eye that has some lashes and one eye that has no lashes. And always the one with no lashes always is itchier, has more things falling in it. I could definitely have a clear difference with that. But in terms of sunlight, I've never thought of it. I'm sure if I like paid attention, probably. So one of the things I love about your story is not only that it really prepared you for this path of being a professional therapist and helping people with body image, you also just launched your own brand. What is your brand? My business is called Aid by Allie. It encompasses my work and knowledge as a therapist with also the advocacy and awareness of alopecia and wanting to normalize just all physical differences in general. I know no one can see us right now, but I'm wearing my uniqueness is beauty sweatshirt. I think that the phrase uniqueness is beauty encompasses everything that Aid by Allie stands for. Our differences is what creates true beauty, not not. Fitting in boxes is not what makes beauty. Through Aid by Alley, I'm starting a free support group for people with all types of hair loss that people can join. I'll be starting hair loss mental health coaching as a way to help people beyond the scope of my work as a therapist. Because obviously when you're a therapist, you're under licensing and you can only work in the states you're licensed in. And that is not conducive to be able to help other people that reach out to me. I have hair loss. Can you help work with my daughter? Can you work with me? Boy, when York. But so coaching will be a good way to help hopefully make mental health support for hair loss more accessible. I also created what is called the Hair Loss Diary, which is a therapeutic journal for people with hair loss. It has normal journaling space, hair loss specific journal prompts, and then exercises and activities drawn from evidence-based therapies to help kind of manage and cope with the mental health impacts of hair loss. There's that journal. And then I have a second journal, but also a therapeutic journal with this Similar like exercises, activities drawn from evidence-based therapies, but it's not hair loss specific. It's for anyone. It's called the Authentically You Journal. That one is, you know, kind of for anyone who just enjoys journaling, but wants something that's a little more geared towards like mental health and self-growth and self-care. So yeah, that is what my brand encompasses. I love that. How did you come up with your title of your brand? That is so funny you asked me that because I literally last night was sitting and thinking about how this all happened. And it happened, I believe it was the summer before my junior year 
of college and I had wanted to make another page to document my journey of becoming a therapist and begin making mental health tip type posts. But I didn't want to do it on my main account. I felt like I needed a different account. And there was one therapist I followed and her account was Sit With Wit. And she created this course that was called Instagram for Therapists. And it was teaching therapists how to use Instagram. And I remember asking her, can I take this course even if I'm not a therapist yet? Is it okay if I do this now? Is that too early? And she was like, no, go for it. You might as well learn things now. And so I did. I took her course and that's where I learned about Canva, which is what kind of everyone uses to create graphics and things. And that's where I designed all my journals is on Canva. She talked about how to make a username. And so hers was sit with wit. She said, you want it to be catchy. And I was like, what are helping words that start with A? And then I found aid. And then I liked how aid and Allie had almost the same letters. They were both three letter A words. And then I was like, aid with Allie? Aid from? So I went through and then aid by Allie just sounded the most kind of elegant to me. And I was like, hmm, cool. And I remember telling a friend, hey, I'm going to make this account in the future. Like, I'm not ready to do that now. But I created this cool name. This is going to be the name of this account. I didn't even at that point think about it being a registered LLC business. It was just going to be the name of my account. And she was like, cool. And then I was like, actually, yeah, I'm going to do it right now. I'll just do it right now. And so then I just made the account going into my junior year the summer before and started hosting it. You, you can scroll down and look back to those posts and how to me, I don't want to delete anything because it shows the growth. And where I started and where I am now, the things I was posting back then, I look back and I cringe. I'm like, oh, why did I think that was good or helpful? But yeah, that is the origin of how Aid by Ali became a thing. It started with a random course that was called Instagram for therapists. <laughs> wow. Of course, Instagram for therapists. And now you have your brand. That's really cool. There's something I want to talk to you about. You and I work with each other, mentoring our little girls in our alopecia support group. And one of the things that you have taught and continue to teach is that the human body is an art piece. I love that concept. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah. So it goes into the body image piece a little bit, but what honed that in for me was there's this um, modality called mirror exposure therapy. And in this, it's used for people with body dysmorphia or any type of body image related issues and there's some other things that go into whether it's a good fit for someone but like, the premise is you're using form shapes colors functions textures to like describe what you're seeing in the mirror so like, what you actually see now what you think you're seeing so if i was doing my head i would say i see a tan oval about four inches from the top i see two almond shapes in the middle of those almonds there's a brown circle and those two almonds help me see the world right so very much taking all type of judgment off the table, just describing literally the shapes, color, forms, and functions that like our bodies make up and how they are able to like, get us to do these incredible things in the world. When I started going through that training, it really made me start viewing, ah, oh, we really are just art pieces, live art, like ever-changing art. We get to have, make all these cool shapes and not only these cool shapes, but these shapes that do such incredible things for us every day. How can I be mad at my amazing head that holds this incredible brain of this creativity that I love? I would never want to get rid of this head. It brings me the most incredible things in my life. And so that training is what sparked that for me of like, oh, we literally are just like ever changing pieces of artwork. And that's pretty cool. And there's no more value on a circle than there is a rectangle. It takes all that off the table and just shows us that we are beautiful beings, if that makes sense. Well, it does. And 
when you started introducing this concept to our girlies, it also helps me being a woman with alopecia, being an alopecia, we still struggle. We're living this out, but, but we're not perfect. And we still have our days where we experience insecurity. So I really liked that idea of looking at yourself as what you just said, an ever-changing art form. Yeah. I mean, I want to also point out, it's not an easy thing, right? Like, I know the way I talk about it might sound like, oh, just the flip of the switch. Just look in the mirror and start just grabbing all the shapes and colors you see and boom, it's fixed. It takes so much practice and so much self-compassion along the way to allow yourself to still have bad days. There are certainly days I still have where I'm like, ugh, this alopecia thing sucks. Give me some hair. And I'm not able to reframe it to, oh my God, this head that provides me so much amazingness in my life and has shaped my career and my passion. There's some days where that's still hard and that's okay. I think that's a piece of it too. It's just like this radical acceptance. And for me, acceptance includes really allowing yourself to have good and bad days without judgment, which is a lot of what I work on with my clients and a lot of what I plan to use in my hair loss mental health coaching method is, is this idea that acceptance is different for everyone. But the idea that acceptance is only happiness and rainbows is not accurate. <laughs> so what would you say then is... A good first step for reframing when you're looking in the mirror for someone to do if they've never tried this concept before to with their thinking. Yeah. Starting with the shapes, color, forms, functions, and textures. Obviously, best done in the experience with a professional that is trained in it is obviously going to have the biggest impact. But it's still beneficial for a person to be able to look in the mirror if they're in the midst of so much negative self-talk. The reason this is so helpful is because... If we're in the middle of negative self-talk, it's sometimes very unrealistic to tell a person, well, just do the opposite. Think, well, I love myself. I look great right now. To go right from a negative to a positive is sometimes really hard. And so what this kind of neutral description does is gives you a middle ground. And using color shapes forms, there's no judgment on the table with that. And your brain cannot simultaneously judge something and neutrally describe it at the same time, which is why... This works so well because you can't hold both of them at one time. You're either judging or you're neutrally describing and both are working different parts of your brain. So even without the help of someone doing actual mirror exposure with you, using just the language of shapes and colors and functions and forms is helpful. There's also something I like to call like affirmations rather than affirmations. So it's kind of finding some middle ground of instead of I love myself, I look amazing. It's what if I could accept my body? What if someone loved my head? And it's starting to get out of the black and white thinking and into some gray area or the possibility of something else, which is another way to get yourself in terms of a middle ground instead of just jumping right to positive thoughts. Because again, that's not always realistic for everyone. We need some type of in the middle ground and we're like entrenched in the negative side of our thought pattern. So those are like my top two ways to start neutrally describing there's also other types of affirmations that are less positive and more just you know i can appreciate my body in this moment i can appreciate that my body allowed me to wake up today i can appreciate that my body allowed me to go to work and do x y and z today and sometimes that is what neutrality looks like for people so i would say the biggest tip is just finding any type of neutrality that works for you it's not always fair to tell our brains that we just have to directly switch to positives all the time. I really like that the informations instead of affirmations, it's challenging you to think differently, more positively. So for anyone who's 
you know, we talked about dating earlier, just as an example. For me, I like the idea of, well, what if I met someone and they wanted to kiss my head? What would that make me feel like? Would I like that? Would I not? Should I establish a boundary and not having that because it would make me feel uncomfortable? It gets me thinking of positive possibilities. That's really cool. And you can even use it as a way if you like to journal. And you can even do any one of maybe your hair last night or in your authentic or your authentically you journal if you wanted to. <laughs> Non-shameless plunk. But those are also good ways if you're into journaling. And uh, sometimes it's not about looking in the mirror. Sometimes you just want to sit with yourself and work through these things. And if journaling is the way that you enjoy doing that. You know, I always say journaling is to my clients, especially the ones who don't like it. The way I describe it to them is your thoughts in your head when they get crazy. It's all big, one big knot. You can't really tease it out. You can't figure out what's what. And journaling just helps untie the knots and make the line straight again. And it's not solving your problems. You just can see things more clearly and think a little bit more clearly. And so sometimes that's what we need to when really being, having a hard day with body image and the thoughts are spiraling and going out of control. We need to give ourselves a clear space to think about it in a way where it's not getting totally tangled up. We need to have room to untangle the thoughts. It's okay to have bad thoughts and let yourself have negative thoughts without putting judgment on yourself is another big piece that I'm always working on with people. We're human. We have to be realistic here. We're all going to have negative thoughts sometimes. And it's not about getting rid of the negative thoughts. It's about letting yourself have them without placing judgment on yourself for having them. That's a really good point because I feel sometimes with negative thoughts, I instantly want to shut it down instead of thinking of, okay, wait. Why am I thinking this? Is it because I had a bad day and I'm just upset about the bad day and I'm transferring? So, yeah, giving yourself grace when you have a moment and you're having bad thoughts, just going through it, but then coming to a place. Okay, why did you have it? Yeah. And when we try to really push away the bad thoughts and then be like, no, get away. That's when they usually like to come back with vengeance and to come back bigger and better. So that's another piece of where the kind of the self-compassion and the non-judgment of having these thoughts is important because if we can do that, the likelihood of them not coming back as strong or as big um, usually helps with that. Mm, I like that. What three words of encouragement you could give to someone right now? Three words. Oh, my gosh. That has to be three. Could yeah. One of my favorite phrases is, I can do hard things. If you're having trouble thinking of right now, like, oh, I, this is way too hard for me. How could I possibly overcome alopecia? I can bet on it that you can think of something else really hard that you have already overcome in your life. And you did just that. You overcame it in that you can continue to do hard things. You can continue to overcome those things because you already have the resilience and you are capable. And we cannot think back to a time in our life where we had to do that. And so, and that's just one of my favorite. I tell myself all the time, you can do hard things. You, even that, sometimes for me, that's just going to the grocery store. Because with alopecia, going to the grocery store is sometimes a doozy. And that's where I get most of my weird comments. Before I go into the grocery store, I'm like, you can do hard things. And so it doesn't always have to be some huge thing, right? A hard thing is all relative. That's kind of my favorite phrase. I like that. You can do hard things, even going to the grocery store. Yeah. Allison, thank you so much for stopping by and having this conversation with me. I can't wait to share it with everyone. So again, thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I loved every bit of this conversation. Mm-hmm.